One, two, three. Hey, it's Rock 94.7's Terry Stevens, and believe it or not, I actually know how to read. I know I'm as shocked as anybody else, and uh, we picked up a new book recently. It's called Beyond the Beats, Interviews with Rock and Roll's Greatest Drummers, and we have the pleasure of having the author of this book on with us right now, Jake Brown. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm starting to do a great weekend. So, Jake, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, man. How did you get into the position where you get to talk to some of the most legendary per, uh, percussionists <laughs> in the game? Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been doing this almost 20 years and 44 books, and um, I'm fortunate that I write in a niche uh, within the music business of more or less like the behind-the-scenes making of, be it the... I have a bunch of series. I have behind, behind the Boards, which does record producers, National Songwriter, which does country songwriting, and I, there'd never been one on rock drummers before, and it blew me away. I was working with Joe Satriani on his book, and I met, uh, we wrote Strange Beautiful Music together, and I met Chad Smith, and I sort of had a relationship with him. But how this came about was I was, uh, me and Kenny Aronoff were working on his book, which took about three years, and at one point he said, hey, man, I want you to talk to some of my, these guys that are kind of my peers, you know, but they look up to me, you know, et cetera. They were influenced by me. And he gives me Taylor Hawkins and Stephen Perkins from Dave's Addiction and the Food Fighters and Chad again. And so in any event, at that point, I was sort of like, man, I've got like three or four of the biggest drummers in rock right here. There's got to be, you know, I don't know. I, I felt like there was something there in these conversations I was having with them and, about, and with Kenny about drumming. And uh, I pitched the idea to Chad Smith, actually. And he was the first drummer to sign on, and then it went to Taylor, uh, Stephen, and then uh, Joey Kramer signed on from Aerosmith. So that gave it a lot of weight, you know what I mean, at that point? And I just started reaching out to people, and uh, here we are. Uh, there's actually a second volume of the book that has another 17 drummers where I can get to at the end of the call, but these 12 were the ones that I felt like really encapsulated everything that in the last 30, 40 years of rock and roll have really been some of the heaviest hitters, some of the most important players, um, they've certainly contributed some of the biggest songs. You guys still play their songs, you know what I mean, uh, daily, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, man, and what was amazing was, these, you know, if you think of an average band in a magazine, you're going to get a word count limit. So a drummer's only going to get quoted about 20%, maybe of time, 15%, and they're never really going to know, like, who sat them down behind the kids for the first time when they were kids and put the sticks in their hands. So we started from the beginning and we got like Chad Smith talking about his dad getting him, you know, Baskin Robbins drum buckets and Tommy Lee talking about his dad, who was a mechanic, giving him half of his garage where he fixed cars and rooming off the soundproof room for him to practice in. And it went on and on. And there was just these really magical stories that, you know, people don't really think about the 3D position of drummer. Drummer's looking out at the audience. He's also keeping the band going. He's keeping the pulse of the kind of the beat going for the audience. He's got a million responsibilities. And then, you know, guys like Lars Ulrich and Metallica signed on. Lars made this great fantastic visual about, you know, being in his 50s and having to play with the athleticism of someone in their 20s, you oh, know, yeah, in terms man. of when he first recorded these. Uh, on the live side. And then you get the studio, man. You get like Steve uh, Smith from Journey talking about taking Don't Stop Believing home when it was kind of a trouble track and coming back in the morning with a, with a you know, performance that worked. You get uh, Kenny Arnoff talking about Jack and Diane. It was kind of, uh, John Mellencamp told me, the Frankenstein of uh, American Fool. And Kenny came in town at the, at the end and saved it with that Lynn Drum you know, famous legendary breakdown. So it really, it really tries to take fans into the, you know, every corner of the rock and roll universe that a drummer, you know, kind of uh, is a part of. And it's so, you know, Joey Kramer talks about uh, Stephen per uh, Tyler 
uh, you know, the singer of Aerosmith, encouraging him to do his first drum solo five years in Aerosmith in a, in a stadium gig, and he did them from then on. But um, you just learn about these guys' whole evolution, you know, from when they were young kids first starting out. Tommy Lee was 17 years old when he signed his record contract. Um, you know, all the way to guys like Matt Sorum, Guns N' Roses drummer, used to sneak out and go down and play shows on the Sunset Strip at 16. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it yeah. Takes yeah. you from there all the way to November Rain and the trilogy of that little boom, boom, boop, boom, boom fill. And that Sorum tells you about how Axel went in and they come up with a signature part for That Estranged and Don't Cry. And so you really get the behind the scenes, hopefully, of, of every one of these legendary bands' catalogs, too, from the, from behind the kit. It's so cool to dive deeper into their stories as well. And, I, dude, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Uh, Cannibal Corpse. This band has been around since 19-freaking-90. And Paul Mashurkowitz... No one ever gets to talk to him because, you know, everybody wants to talk to Corpse Grinder. Everybody wants to talk to Alex Webster. And here's Paul Mashurkowitz, a guy who, like, you know, like you said, this this dude, Cannibal Corpse records are not easy to play. No, no <laughs> way. And people take metal for granted. <laughs> oh, they do. Yeah, they take. Yeah, you know, it takes endurance um, to do that. And we had Paul Mashurkowitz on for his first round of interviews. Pretty much since he like like in depth interviews. Pretty much since the band started, and he and, and these guys who sit behind the kits and perform night in night out, they have stories to tell, man. Yeah, well, they do, and you know another thing. I'm, I'm just looking through this list. You know, guys, I want to cover one of the books. You know, Doug Cosmo uh, Clifford from Creedence Clearwater Revival, Tico Torres from Bon Jovi. Um, I mean, Jimmy Chamberlain from the Smashing Pumpkins, you know. So each each of these guys, you know, especially if you get guys like uh, Steve Smith from Journey and Jimmy Chamberlain from uh, um, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Tico Torres from Bon Jovi, uh, these guys have jazz to their jazz drummers. They're full on, when they're not on stage rock and roll, they're on another night playing uh, with their jazz bands. And Jimmy Chamberlain, Project Vital Information. And so you hear the swing in a lot of that rock. And, they, you know, you'd be shocked how many, or maybe you wouldn't, of how many of these drummers really are infusing a huge jazz background into what we hear, you know, in, in, in these amazing rock and roll performances. And the, think of the technician um, element or side to that, you know. Um, uh, so it, it's amazing, you know, to the stylistic diversity. Taylor Hawkins, um, you know, for Foo Fighters, you know, you also get in his case, like, walking in and having to have the sticks handed to him by Dave Grohl, you know, one of the greatest <laughs> drummers in history. So, um, yeah, the, you know, the, the, to speak on, on people like that who, who put in these amazingly energetic performances, um, you know, a lot of things this book does, too, that we're really happy about is if you're a kid that's reading this book and you want to become a drummer and you really get a late, like, uh, a really vivid look here at, how much work it is, how much fun it is, um, how much commitment it takes, practicing, getting out and playing with other people as young as possible, the importance of being in like the school band, if that's your exposure to playing with other musicians, um, playing along in your headphones. And the great thing with this book is as you're reading along, you can actually listen through streaming or, you know, whatever. Mostly it's streaming for millennials and, and, and uh, you know, Spotify, the iTunes, whatever, to the very songs that you're reading about and it, and it really gives you like almost puts you in the studio in a lot of cases behind the kit you know talking about that kind of thing uh, as well so during all of those interactions that you had with Chad Smith of the Red Hot Chili Peppers yeah, when four was hours the, when was the moment dinner. that you realized you were actually talking to Will Ferrell <laughs> I'll tell you actually um, <laughs> I asked him, I asked him about that and um, you know he the thing about Chad that's really cool, man, and, and you got to, you know, the personality of these guys really shows up in their playing, you know. I mean, if you think of funk and then you spend you spend a couple hours on the phone with Chad Smith, you totally get why that's the kind of drumming that he does. Because he's from Detroit. He totally comes from that authentic P-funk 
a parliament all the way to like Grand Funk Railroad, everything about that, you know, the music scene, um, he reflects in his playing, you know, and uh, that, you know, Joey Kramer was the first drummer, uh, well, the first guy, I guess, in, in this all African-American R&B soul band before he joined Aerosmith for four or five years in the road. Tico Torres talks about 10 years, you know, of playing uh, from everybody up to the point where he auditioned for Kiss, well, you know, before he even joined Bon Jovi. Um, so you, you really also get a sense of like kind of the, the roots of these guys from the road, you know, and uh, 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 Doug Cosmo uh, talks about, of course, from CCR meeting John Fogarty in junior high and the band forming all the way up through that song Lodi being a real gig they played and, and just like life on the road and, you know, the, all of that. It's really cool, man. It's the way that these guys, real adventures weave into their, their, their performances and the songs that they play, you know. So if somebody wants to, now obviously these drummers, they have some, they have some advice to the young drummers. Uh, how about you as far as like writing? What advice would you give oh, young God. writers who want to get into this game? <laughs> Aside from quit now and find something more profitable to do, that's my, yeah, yeah, that is yeah, my yeah. canned response when somebody asked me to get into radio. I just tell them, nope, don't. Go learn how to do stuff with computers. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, you know, I really, uh, I have always been a sort of uh, story-focused writer, and, and that's not always... The most, uh, I mean, I, I try to, like, I try to frame it in, in certain backdrops. So if you, if you pick a good niche, that's the most important thing because everyone has stories, but the problem is if you don't have a, a sort of focused um, theme that you can kind of write around throughout your career and get known you know, sort of in a niche for doing, and that could be anything. If you're a mystery writer, if you're most comfortable writing, you know, bio biographies, I write memoirs about half the time. Um, I love though also my even in the studio, uh, book series is trademarked. I've got 14 books I wrote with Lemmy Kilmeister before he passed. We did a book together. I wrote with Anna Nancy Wilson and Hart. Um, you know, Tom Waits, I didn't get to write with, but about Tori Amos, Dr. Dre, ACDC, all these different bands within that. So that gave me a chance to also take a theme and then work with a lot of different groups within it. And the other thing I highly recommend is that people focus on anthologies if they get the chance. And that could be short stories if you're like a, you know, uh, writing about uh, fiction or, or, or even nonfiction, you know, true crime, anything. Because anthologies give a reader a chance in 15 or 20 chapters. Rather than reading about one thing for 300 pages, they can read about 20 different things that have a, a related theme and still get a really, you know, diverse kind of journey in terms of uh, the different stories that you can tell about so many different people. National Songwriter, another series I do being an example of that. And Beyond the Beats fit perfectly within that because it gives you the stories of 12 of the most, you know, legendary drummers of rock and roll um, you also get the stories of the songs, Living on a Prayer, Down on the Corner, Don't Stop Believing, All Over the Map, Hurt So Good. And you get the, also the interactions of all the different band members like in the studio working and putting, bringing these songs to life. Man. So that's my you know, kind of uh, couch answer to that. Um, and then just be prepared to not make a lot of money and work really hard. <laughs> I write, three or, four, I write three or four books a year. I write for Tape Pop Magazine. Um, very periodically about sound, you know, interviewing producers about the record making process. And that's the other thing is to diversify yourself into as many different pockets as you can, where you can kind of keep putting out different, you know, you might have an interview for a book that you can reuse in a magazine interview, and then it's presented new to a new set of readers. Um, yeah, and then the other thing that I've had a lot of luck with, and it's something that just takes a lot of, you know, staying up really late at night, emailing agents and foreign rights agents and people in other countries. Beyond the Beats is going to be out in Japan as an example through Yamaha in the fall. Um, it's got an audio book coming. And those are just like, I age in a lot of my own stuff. I, I have to be entrepreneurial with it if you're going to be self-employed as a, as a musician or an author or producer or, as you know, in anything where... And entertainment, you have to constantly be kind of putting out new products, you know, and stuff that's not just a rehash, but that, you know, gives fans like that are reading 
about these bands is feeling like they're reading about something new about them. You know what I mean? It's giving them something to discover that they haven't really read. And that's what this book does. So uh, we're proud of that. When you came into this, I mean, you obviously have uh, plenty of connections in the music industry, but some of these artists that you interviewed, some of these drummers, uh, some of these guys you're meeting for the very first time. Yeah, no your... one, there's never been a book of this kind before. So I appreciate right. you pointing that out because this is the first time that all of these drummers got under one roof. And if I may, let me tell you very quickly, uh, 30 seconds, I'll give you the, the drummers in book two. The Clash, Iron Maiden, Steve Ray Vaughan, Double Trouble, Bad Company, Free, Dream Theater, Carmine of Peace is in there, Steve Gadd is in there, MC5, Dino Dinelli of the Rascals, the Hodges drummer, Lee Kerslake on the classy Randy Rose stuff, The Pixies, Chicago, Montrose, Hart, White Snake, Leonard Skinner, Tower of Power, Santana, Primus, and John Lennon, and yes. So that's like a whole other, you know, kind of focus. But um, these guys, you know, it was so cool. Is, is like, for instance, Matt Sorum came on very late, and he just, you know, I, I, I kind of reached out to some people I knew that knew him, and he called me back and he said, hey, man, did Taylor really do this book? And Chad, and he specifically picked those two guys. Huh. Some of these guys are like, hey, did, did Kenny Aronoff really? So a lot of these guys are fans of each other. You know mm. what I mean? Um, and, and, you know, Lars Ulrich, I mean, of Metallica, I mean, there you're talking about, you know, metal royalty. And, and you know, Tommy Lee, you're talking about hard rock royalty. Joey Kramer, Tico Torres. These are guys who have influenced generations of drummers. All these guys have. Um, so we really wanted to try to put together a collection that a reader could respect um, and, and, and feel like they were really going to, like, you know, dig into if they were very, you know, if they were interested in these guys' stories. Um, but also be able to really kind of, like, walk away going, wow, I'm a fan of this dude. Maybe I didn't even know, like, to your point, you know, some of these guys collecting under this literary roof for the first time. Well, I never really listened to Smashing Pumpkins and... Now I'm a fan of Jimmy Chamberlain Project, which is his jazz project, you know? Uh, or with a guy like Kenny, who was so crazy with Kenny, as you, everyone knows him from Mellencamp and John Fogarty in more recent years, but people don't realize he's played on so many songs you've heard on the radio, like Glenda Carlisle, uh, Heaven is a Place on Earth, with Michelle, Shea, uh, Michelle Branch to Melissa Etheridge, um, you know, uh, come to my window, just, uh, or excuse me, I want to come over, just across the whole board, you know, Bob Dylan, Joe Cocker, I mean, that, guy, that guy's one of the most amazing session drummers in the world, you know, so um, it's also, there's an educational component to this book, the advice that you mentioned before, as much as there is about, you know, um, uh, trying, if you want to work professionally, and maybe not even be a rock star, but just to be a working musician, you get a lot of, you know, good wisdom from these guys in the book. So when you're interviewing the, the, this rock and metal royalty, I mean, let's face it, yeah. everybody wants a piece of Lars' time. Everybody wants a piece of, the, uh, of Matt Sorum's time. So you're coming in, you're another author, you're another writer, you're another guy who wants a piece of their time. What is your go-to icebreaker to, well. <laughs> get, to, to get to basically to, to bridge that connection with somebody like that? Well, you know, if, you, if you're going to be approaching, uh, to your point, one of these, you know, approaching a drummer or approaching a guitar player, whoever, um, always have a good title. Uh, that's always one thing. I mean, I, I'm lucky that, that people, no one had this title, just like National Songwriter. I was amazed no one had that uh, in the studio. No one grabbed that. So I, I've been just lucky to, you know, get titles that then you can frame a band against. For instance, Heart in the studio, Motorhead in the studio. And Lemmy just heard that title and was like, that's cool. Joe Satriani's book is originally supposed to be in the studio, and then we just wound up expanding it, um, you know, to like a music, we call it a musical memoir. Uh, but yeah, you know, and then I also just really try to, um, I mean, I live in Nashville, and I'm constantly interviewing people, you know, I mean, on a, on a for new 
books and, and just it, that's the key to you know my recommendation if it's for people trying to get in to the to this kind of work is you know you be a news reporter uh, which I'm not you know be a, be a news reporter you got to go out and get new interviews so it's just constantly hustling you know new interviews and trying to you know um, bring kind of a fresh uh, um, idea of what these guys are so used to talking about as an example drummers are so often asked about you know, nonsense and, 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 you know, rock star stuff. And they really want to talk about like their, their, you know, organic musical kind of, you know, side of what they do. Not so much like kind of like, um, you know, the videos or the, <laughs> how many groupies that, did you pull the last yeah, how many groupies? Oh, yeah, how much beer did you drink? Yeah. So like Tommy Lee can talk about going up in that insane wild side video drum cage and, or the roller coaster Motley ended their tour on, and he can talk about just checking out and going in. He said, truthfully, when he's up there, he doesn't even really, he goes into a zone where he can't hear the audience, and he can't really see them, and he's off in his own world, and then he doesn't really come out of it until the performance is over. I mean, so they, they really, you know, you, these guys really do teleport without it sounding too, you know, crazy off to another headspace to be able to pull off and channel and deliver every night that kind of energy with that kind of precision, with that kind of uh, technical skill, with that kind of energy, you know, performance and, and acrobatics and showmanship. It's, a, it's just an amazing thing to have to do and summon that kind of same energy every night. And, and let's face it, if the drummer's off, the band's going to be, you know what I mean? Their right. timing, whether it be in the studio, whether they're going to be live, uh, the audience is going to lose. So it really, um, you know, it's really an amazing, you know, place in a, in a, and this is really like a holy grail like I said for rock and metal drummers of any generation I mean yeah I find you promise you will find you know the best stories about the best beats because they're told from the guys that invented them um, and, and and that's the other thing that I really try to do is I, I really try as much in the first person as possible to make the drummers the, the you know the stars of these things I mean uh, because you know that I, I hope that people will read this and, and just walk away with a better appreciation for you know listening to walk this way might sound like kind of a, you know, a, 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 a simple four on the floor beat but um, when Joey Kramer talks about some of the different performances that he does it's less is more in that concept and I'll tell you another thing that came out of this book there's a huge tribute in this book to John Bonham he almost has a chapter woven throughout all 12 of these guys' chapters because every one of these people was influenced by him in some manner or form. And and that's what we hope, too, is that, you know, you get a little bit of an education on guys like Eldon Jones, who, who was um, Tico Torres' protege, very famous New York drummer. Um, you know, different guys from different eras and generations that are, you know, have left us. Buddy Rich and Gene Krupa, I can't tell you how many times they came up, you know, in this series. Uh, Ringo Starr, of course. Um, inspired a lot of people, so hopefully we pay a little homage and, and not, you know, a little bit of a rock and roll nod to you know the greats from kind of you know the, the '60s and the '50s that I would have loved to have spoken to if they were in a lot of cases over here, you know. Um, and, and we certainly try to celebrate them if they aren't with us anymore. Whether it's the 12 drummers that you interview for this book or the uh, other crew that you're interviewing for its uh, upcoming sequel. Out of all those interviews, yeah. which one was the most pleasant surprise to you? Where, where, where you were delighted with, uh, maybe you went in thinking, maybe they'll be like this, and they just completely blew your mind. Yeah, you know, um, I can't really say there was one, because everybody was uh, really gracious with their time. And, and, you know, I'm a little bit of a, I mean, I grew up in the 80s. I'm 41, be 42 in a couple of weeks, and I, I saw most of these guys play live not once, multiple times, and I, I'm kind of a nerdy about it because I, I can go, hey, man, that gig, and, you know, whatever. But I, I really was surprised at how open they all were willing to be. Um, 
And, you know, the one that was really, really like, I'll be honest, there were two that were my favorites because Tommy Lee is just such an enormous influence of mine uh, as a drummer myself and putting on his records as a kid and trying to keep up and doing nowhere near it. But, you know, just in appreciating him. And then Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction. Uh, but for book two, The Clash, is, you know, when, when Topper Heaton uh, agreed to be in this and then Nico McBrain from Iron Maiden, those two were like, among, uh, they're all, I'm privileged to talk to all of them, but, you know, uh, I made Nico McBrain <laughs> go back through with me and just go through everything, you know what I mean, <laughs> that he played on. And I, and I really, and I, I didn't make, I say I make, I, he was generously agreed. I, I, I implored Topper Heaton to do the same and, 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 you know, bless his heart, he, he went through everything, you know, uh, uh, that the, you know, the clash, I mean, and rock the Caspar and, 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 Oh man, just should I stay and, and train in vain? All the all the classic clash, you know, uh, London calling. And so uh, with each of these drummers, man, I think the other thing is if you're a fan of like Bon Jovi, you know, you're going to read about living on a prayer and those favorite drum parts that you love. Um, these drummers really, you know, I think they appreciate the air drumming. You know, Stephen Perkins talks about it as having a conversation with the you know audience from his instrument, and when he can see kids air drumming back to him, it's like the biggest compliment in the world, you know. Um, and, and, and so I really just appreciated how everybody opened up. I wish I could be more specific, but it was like, you know, Lars Ulrich obviously was a, was a, was a major, like, wow, really? Okay. Um, and Joey Kramer, uh, just, I guess, because I didn't have personal relationships with these guys. I've known Tommy a lot of years through different things off and on just loosely, you know, I mean, like a lot of other probably professional, uh, acquaintances of his, but he's always been gracious and given me, you know, quotes for different things, but, uh, he opened up you know, spent an hour and a half on the phone with me. And he hates, I think, in some cases, talking about um, some of the Motley songs that everybody asked him about a million times. So the other thing I tried to do in this book, I don't, don't quote me on it, but I mean, I think he, I really tried to also not just ask these guys about the, the hit hits, but ask them about, like, their favorite songs. You know what I mean? And so the other thing that was surprising was some of the songs that they went into elaboration on um, that were what you'd call deeper cut material. Uh, and... So all around, you know, it was just really fun. I was, it was a privilege. Um, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm really excited about the sequel. I'm almost sad that this book is done because I had so, <laughs> so much fun talking to these guys. You know, these 12 were my core influences, you know, myself, and I figure probably for millions of other rock fans, you know. Um, and, and if they weren't, then classic rock radio especially wouldn't continue to play them as the core uh, rotate, you know, playlist that that you guys so so great you know you i love that everyone you know your station and so many others that i'm talking to for this book are like champions of these guys bands because they're like you know i hate the soundtrack of our lives cliche but right that's what they are you know what i mean and and uh so anyway we're, we're really grateful that, that they were all willing to to open up i mean we're a modern rock station and we play at least 50 percent of the bands in this book <laughs> well yeah exactly that's what i mean from like from like your station to like like foo fighters and chilies and and that and jane's addiction and and that's what i mean all the way to like classic rock guys that are more going to be like the aerosmith guns and roses you know journey type crowd um and and you know like smashing pumpkins i mean there's there's really really hopefully the other thing that everyone who reads this book will feel like is stylistically all of the subgenres of rock from alternative, heavy metal, hard rock, hair metal, pop, metal, pop rock, you know, all of the different genres, new wave, um, grunge, are all represented uh, in classic rock. Yeah, I mean, it, it so. really, really runs the spectrum. I got one more question for you. Yes, sir. You, had, men- you had mentioned earlier that you did a book with Lemmy. 
What is your yes. favorite Lemmy story that you can tell without attracting the attention? <laughs> hang on, I need to preface this because we're regulated by by the FCC that you can tell <laughs> without attracting the attention of law enforcement. Um. Okay. So the favorite story is how I sold Lemmy on the book. So the only uh, X-rated part of this is in very early in my career, way back in 2004. I worked on a book with a retired adult film star named Jasmine St. Clair. I had. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm called, familiar. I, I mean, I, yeah, know, I, I heard about her. Yeah, I was told by. I had. Yes. Yeah, I had. I had books out at the time on Suge Knight from Death Row Records, Nikki Six, uh, R. Kelly. And I wanted to do something different. And somebody I knew knew her and she needed a writer. And we that's just how kind of when you're early on, you take whatever you can get. So. Anyway, uh, she had this whole kind of uh, cast of, you know, people that, you know, from Ron Jeremy to Lemmy Kilmeister that I interviewed. And uh, I had just finished with Hart, and their book had just come out, and I wanted to do another in the studio book. And I said, man, I just, I had done with the Tupac Shakur estate, too, that they authorized the Lucini. So I was lucky. I had some good things, but I wanted Lemmy to do this book. So I cold called him on the side of the road when my car broke down driving from Chicago to uh, Nashville. And I had to wait like an hour and a half on a wrecker. And, and I, I just cold called him and I, I pitched him on it. And he, uh, he said, all right, well, send me a book, you know. And then I sent it to him. And a couple days later, you know, he, he called me back and he said, I read the book. I think this is really cool. Um, I was, my mouth was just dropped open. And, you know, he, he, I don't know, man, he, he designed the cover for the Motorhead book. It was his idea to do the War Pig with sunglasses. And it would just be, I mean, I grew up listening to Motorhead like everybody, you know, mm. um, as a skater kid in the 80s. I mean, so, so I mean, from the point of view that, that uh, just the experience of getting him to do it and that he was so cool and he was so kind of, you know, he'd call me at four in the morning from England and say, hey, mate, I want to talk for a minute. I go, oh, yeah, a few minutes before my, I go on and... <laughs> And, you know, he would be with his amps killer, and I forget the other one. Uh, he had those two crazy big, you know, amplifiers, and he would he would sit there and just talk to me about, you know, what he was thinking when he wrote Ace of Spades and how, you know, this song came together and that song. And then, so anyway, it was just, it was a, a royal experience, you know, when I was young, I was I was 12 years, you know, 13, 14 years younger. Uh, oh, excuse me, 12 years, you know, 10 years younger than I am now, so it was a decade ago. Um, so, you know, you're 10 years greener, and... Uh, I don't know, man. I, you know, I still, every year, you know, um, that book got re-released last year in paperback, uh, and it was called Lemmy and Motorhead in the Studio, and I'm looking at the title on my bookshelf. And, you know, that's 10 years after, and it speaks to the fact, I wrote a, a, another book that was the uh, very last thing I'll plug, because I just love it, is Rick Rubin in the Studio. Ooh, if you're a fan of Rick Rubin, I have, thankfully, the only book that's out on him, period, and it's in, and it's in the context of this record-making and when I go to different studios around Nashville to, to you know, interview people or work, uh, I see that book on bookshelves. And more than others that I've seen, like beyond, behind the boards or whatever, I hope to see this beyond the beats. I'm really proud of that because Rick Rubin didn't participate in that book, but he okayed it. Um, and, and it's just still, you know, a book that it was released in Italy and France, and it's and the Motorhead book came out in France too, actually, in uh, UK. So I, I don't know. I just I, I'm I'm fortunate to have uh, rock fans from different countries that like these titles, and and um, you know, hopefully with Lemmy, we feel like we we did his legacy a service because uh, I think that's the only book on his record making process. You know that he that he 
greenlit. He did do a couple memoirs, but he's just a character. Yeah, you'd have loved him. You'd have enjoyed interviewing him because he's <laughs> just a jovial guy. He, he loved what he did, and he loved to talk about music. That is Jake Brown. He is the author of Beyond the Beats, Rock and Roll's Greatest Drummers Speak. It is a fantastic read. My brother is a drummer. He is absolutely getting this for his birthday, which is coming up at the uh, in the middle of May. Uh, fantastic interviews, 12 different drummers in here, and a sequel on the way. Uh, the guy from Dream Theater that you mentioned, Mike Portnoy. Mike Portnoy. You oh, just yeah. sold a million books <laughs> with that one, man. <laughs> Everybody yeah. wants to hear how that guy does his thing man you can find a link to buy it we'll have it links to the uh, amazon and stuff and the info part of this thing and i tell you the, the the audio book comes out through blackstone audio also may 15th there if you don't like to read someone will read it to you there you go yeah. <laughs> jake thank All you right. so much Thanks for your so time much. man we appreciate it and good luck with the next book thank you